0: All right, man. Welcome to the introduction for episode 171 of Crow 777 Radio. Uh, Jason Lingren's with me. Wayne McCroy is back to help us uh, lay down some uh, knowledge here, hopefully. The 80s is the decade that changed everything. Uh, Before the 80s, the world was mostly analog and a much different place to be than it was after the 80s. Technology and so many things changed in the 80s. In the United States, I was coming of age in the 80s. It was a party a party like we've never seen. And let me tell you something, that party came to a screeching halt at the end of the 80s in more ways than I can count. But uh, let's jump in and look at what became of us all in the 80s. And we're going to focus in on the 24-7 cycle of things. And to make the pun that I'm going to make in the title, it was in the mid 80s. We hit 88 miles per hour. Let's jump in with Jason and Wayne. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 171. Jason Lingren is with me, and Wayne McCroy is back to help break down some of the particulars about maybe one of the most important decades we've done. Different shows on the 80s, um, but we're going to show some of the big changes in the world that came to be in the 80s. It's almost like if you were going to draw a decade-driven line in the sand. The 80s would be that. The 80s are what allow uh, the world as we see it now in a lot of different ways. And you've got to realize that the first real technology, and I'm talking digital, um, that all starts coming to be something that matters in the 80s. How we get our information, cable TV, all these things we take for granted now as everyday life. These things came online in the 80s. And we'll start by talking about CNN. But anyhow, welcome, Jason. Breaking news.
1: Things are not what they seem to be.
0: (laughs) So we don't have much. I haven't really been anywhere. um, So I don't think we have anything to mention there, but we did find out that we got accepted at one of the more important film festivals, the Rhode Island International Film Festival. Have you heard anything more on that?
1: I haven't received any more information on it, but this is the third laurel that we have received from all the film festival submissions. So we're starting to look like we're a
0: real film. Yeah, it's kind of more than I expected. You know, Rhode Island is an offbeat state, so it didn't surprise me when you sent me the message. But apparently, uh, we're semi-finalists, whatever that means. Right. And truly, I guess you can say now you're an award-winning filmmaker. Uh, anything else here, should we jump in?
1: We are going to be doing a live stream with Richie from Boston, if we want to mention that.
0: Right. Um, the censorship is so horrendous and some, you know, many of the channels that we've seen around over the years, um, they're all in the same boat. Um, they're they're struggling along or struggling to gain any ground. Uh, we're going to stop in and talk with Richie or anyone else, by, by the way, who is who's interested. Um, I think Richie's interested in showing some of the footage that I've shot as well, but I'm happy to go out just about anywhere to talk with folks. Uh, anything else, Jason?
1: And just for everyone's information, this will be happening on Thursday. So check Richie's YouTube channel for the live stream setup. So the day this goes live, look for us with Richie.
0: Yeah, this, this episode will go live at about 10 a.m. or maybe a little before, and we'll be doing the live stream at 11. Anyhow, let's, let's, uh, let's get Wayne in here. Welcome, Wayne. Hi, guys. Good to be back. So we've got a little dance to do to lay down some pretty critical ideas um, about big things that happened in the 80s that really set the stage for what everyone is used to in the modern era of our world. Um, Anything you want to say before we jump in, Wayne? Uh, I just think it's important for us to point out that one of the
2: primary facets of this that we'll be discussing today is how uh, in the mid-1980s that the whole Idea of the concept of the twenty-four uh, hour news cycle uh, came into the mainstream in a big way, and that you know this is one of the tools that uh, the powers that be are using to uh, steer agendas. So uh, that's that's kind of where we're going with this, and uh, you know we'll take a look at uh, just the how and why and when this all came about.
0: Right. This is all factually based, and to put a fine point on that statement, I was alive. I saw this happen. Um, We'll point out the events, the world events that put 24-hour news cycles permanently here. But let's go ahead and jump in, Jason. So we're going to talk about
1: CNN, the cable news network that was founded in 1980 by billionaire philanthropist Ted Turner as well as 25 other original members. The initial investment into the network was $20 million. It is, of course, the first 24-hour news network, and it launched on June 1st, 1980, at 5pm Eastern Standard Time. CNN is based out of Atlanta,
0: Georgia. So... This is kind of interesting. And people can actually go on YouTube and look up the first day's broadcast. And I remember this. People made fun of CNN at first saying, you guys are crazy. Who's going to want to watch the news 24-7? And there's not even that much news in the world. So what will you broadcast? But that wasn't really the startup problems they had. Their anchors, and you can look these up on YouTube, they didn't appear to know what to do. Um, They had to be on the air nonstop. And there were all these set malfunctions and other things and a lot of people were making fun of this idea saying it'll never fly
2: yeah it definitely seemed like a losing proposition at first Uh, when you when you watched uh, the early days uh, of cnn it it was really kind of farcical honestly and it's it's no wonder that they were you know operating in uh, a, a position of debt from that time up until uh the midpoint of the 1980s when things started to turn over and we'll get to that later
0: Right. We will show the absolute line in the sand where struggling CNN became big buff CNN. Um, but go ahead, Jason.
1: CNN launched several other spin off networks and established many well known shows, such as Larry King Live, Moneyline, and Crossfire. Some spin off networks include Headline News, CNN International, CNN Money, as well as several other networks that did not last. CNN also expanded its broadcast partnerships to over 900 affiliated local stations by establishing its own Newswire service similar to PR
0: Newswire, which is called CNN News Source. So for people who are not that old, that don't remember this era, it's hard to communicate what a stark departure this is from what everyone had been used to. Back in this era, there were three network channels. Cable was not everywhere as it is today by a long shot, and cable will not be everywhere for quite a while to come yet. But people basically got their local and international news from three television stations broadcast over the air. And that is the way it had been since really the onset of television, some variation of just a couple, two, three channels. Um, this is a whole other thing altogether, and it's not doing so well at first.
2: Right. And another thing that we could look at is uh, the reach that CNN had at this point, because they also uh, some of the failed channels that they launched. One was called CNN Airport, which played exclusively at airports, which, you know, that kind of signals things to come later. And also they even had one, I think it was called CNN. What was it called? CNN Retail or something like that. That was played at grocery stores and whatnot. So, I mean, these were failed channels that didn't last long, but they were exclusively tailored to different businesses. So this is kind of uh, where uh, the whole thing began with with TVs showing up like everywhere, like in public places. So, uh, you know, you could draw the line in the sand back to the 1980s for that and CNN had a direct hand in this.
0: Right. And again, I would urge people go to YouTube and look up the very earliest broadcast from CNN um, and you'll understand why it looks like this is never going to work. But let me tell you something. Some things happened in the mid 80s that not only made it work, they made it huge and it never went away. Anyhow, Jason.
1: CNN founder Ted Turner was born on November 19th, 1938. He has a net worth of two point two billion dollars. He gave the United Nations a billion dollars to create the United Nations Foundation. He serves as a chairman of the board, as director of UN Foundation, co-founded Nuclear Threat Initiative, and is (laughs) co-chairman.
0: Where to start in hour one, where to start in hour one. So he's born on November 19. I'm sure people are already out there counting the ways uh, on both sides, even the the year date there. Um, But the man's a billionaire and he's a billionaire in the 80s. And that means something more than it means now, even though now a billion dollars is a lot of money. But let's just say the man was well situated, tied into the United Nation and other concerns to underplay what we're talking about here. Right, his net
2: worth is listed as being two point two billion dollars, and you could play the numbers game there all day long too. So yep. we could look at that all over this whole uh, advent of CNN and uh, Ted Turner. You, you could look at the numbers all associated with this, and and start to draw some lines. Uh, even looking at the when CNN was founded in 1980 on you know June first 1980, you could play the numbers game there all day too. Uh, It was Ted Turner and 25 other original members. So uh, there were 26 people that founded this. And 26 is actually, for those who don't know, an encoding of the tetragrammaton. So, I mean, you you could look at the the numerical and numerological significance of of a lot of this stuff in association with uh, the founding of CNN.
0: There's no doubt, man. You look at the face of a clock, you understand those numbers. And guess what? You do that and you know what time it is. Go ahead, Jason.
1: Now, I strongly suspect, given his ties, that Ted Turner has a lot more money, power, and influence than any mainstream article will ever let on.
0: Well, it was, you know, the idea of having your own network or whatever CNN will properly have been called at this time was unheard of. You know, for the, for the entirety of television, there would basically been three. And I forget what, what's the RCA. I think they're all spinoffs of RCA. I might have that wrong, but I think it's right. So we had ABC, CBS and NBC. That was it. So this really is a whole new thing going on. Yeah, Yeah. and I I
2: honestly remember the early days of cable television like this, uh, like you had mentioned before. This was something entirely new, I mean, because most people got their news from ABC, NBC, or CBS, those three major broadcast systems. And and cable wasn't pervasive everywhere in the 1980s. I I remember I was growing up in the 80s, and I, I distinctly remember this. I remember when we first got cable television and the different channels and stuff that were with it. And it's definitely, it was a different era then. And you could see how this is a pioneering uh, type of event, having uh, this 24-hour news cycle come into being on a cable television channel. And uh, soon after that, cable television kind of took over. So most people uh, today, they don't have television unless they have cable television.
0: That's right and they don't remember I remember my father back in the day saying we're never getting those damn underground wires that's how he referred to it <laughs> um but the funny thing was most people have forgotten when things like HBO and other cable staples came along the idea that was put out there, and it's actually how it was, was you paid for television, which at the time was a bit like paying for water. No one could imagine paying for television or water. These were free things in the world back in the day. But what it meant was you paid for this television service and there were no commercials. (laughs) How long did that last? (laughs) Not very
1: Ted Turner inherited his father's billboard advertising business in 1963 when his father committed suicide. He purchased an Atlanta UHF station in 1970 and began the Turner Broadcasting System. In 1978, Turner contacted media executive Reese Schoenfeld with his plans to found a 24-hour news channel, and this brought CNN into existence in
0: 1980. So he buys a station and gets into the network game in 1970. By 78, he's contacting people with his brand new 24 new hour, you know, 24 hours a day news channel. And a mere two out, two years later, it actually exists. All right. It just goes to show. I mean, there's probably been a lot
2: more planning involved with uh, the advent of this station uh, long before the two years between 1978 and its founding in 1980. Uh, something like this just doesn't come together overnight. It, it takes a lot, of, uh, a lot of different
0: logistics to throw together a worldwide, worldwide 24-hour news network. I, I guess the question becomes, in 1970, when he went out to buy into the broadcasting game, did he already have this in mind? And it's hard to imagine he didn't. Um, but then again, when you go back and look at the clips of early CNN, it's a bit like comedy uh, called news. And it's a bit like comedy called news today, too. That's true. But uh, in hour one, we can't really go too deep in how comedic it is. True. When
1: CNN started, it had poor ratings and viewership for its first few years. But that will certainly change when two major events will put CNN on the map for good
0: and this is the crux of the matter. Um, they're laughed at, they're a joke, they're amateurish. And again, go look up the clips. If you don't believe what I'm telling you to be true, you can see it's, it's kind of a joke that this thing's ever gonna work. But lo and behold, we get into the middle of 80s and two events put them on the map, not just on the map, uh, they own the map by the time these two events are over. And the latter of the two events we're gonna, gonna cover here is the real line in the sand.
1: CNN is said to have lost a total of $77 million in its first five years before turning an operating profit of $13 million by 1985.
0: So in 1985, they show a profit. Is that what we're saying here? They're, they're losing millions and millions and all of a sudden they turn a profit in 85. In is that correct?
1: Yep. In 85, they're making money. I'm going to assume that they started getting their act together by then in time
0: for some craziness in 1986. Seems like they had a plan. Uh, anything to add before we lay down the plan? Yeah, just that their uh, operating profit
2: was $13 million. So this, this is a, a clear encoding of the, the concept of the Phoenix. Uh, this this uh, dead issue, CNN, will rise from the ashes and become something greater.
0: Right. And people do need to keep in mind that when you're talking this far ago in our timeline and you're talking 77 million, that is a boatload of cash to be losing by any measure. Right. And that's
2: very telling in and of itself right there. There's your 77. Like I said, you could look at these numbers and and draw some conclusions just from the numbers involved in the whole advent of CNN from the get go.
0: Yeah, there's no escaping the numbers, even for the people who don't want to conceive that the numbers have something to tell us. Go ahead, Jason, let's lay down the, the well, we're, we're going to lay down a couple things. The latter of the two is the line in the sand that changes everything. But the first one certainly gets the ball rolling.
1: Now, looking at CNN from a basic business standpoint, the assumption here is advertisers weren't that interested in CNN yet. And they just weren't getting a lot of money for their advertisements. But of course, that's about to change.
0: Because it's about eyes, right? How, how many eyes are on your television station determines the value of your advertising and what you're about to lay down multiplied eyes by Lord knows how much. At 11.38 a.m.
1: on January 28th, 1986, CNN broadcast the launch of the Space Shuttle Challenger. At 11.39 a.m., the Space Shuttle Challenger exploded after takeoff and was said to have killed all seven of the astronauts that were on board. The most well-known member of the crew was Krista McAuliffe, a high school teacher from Concord, New Hampshire. This mission was stated as the first of the Teacher in Space project. In addition, it was supposed to observe Halley's Comet for six days. What did this mean? Many more people were watching this particular launch than usual. CNN was the only channel to give round-the-clock coverage and was the first big event to start the 24-hour news cycle being a normal thing in everyone's lives.
0: Well, I'm glad you included the Halley's Comet idea in there. Um, Comets are always associated with disaster. At one time, comets were apparently called disasters. Well, this was a disaster. CNN was the only one in position to cover it 24-7. And in fact, they did. And if I'm not mistaken, Jason, uh, this was broadcast in a lot of school rooms. But if I'm not mistaken, that was NASA TV that was behind that. Uh, What would you add, Wayne? I would add. I, I think it's important
2: to look at the the idea that uh, this this was broadcast to classrooms around the country live. This this is unprecedented. This is ne- was something that never happened before, and I don't believe it's happened since, uh, and with the exception of maybe uh, the events of nine eleven on the day of nine eleven. But uh, this this set a whole new precedent. Like. I remember, I, I was uh, I was in fifth grade at the time that this happened, and I remember watching it live on TV. And in fact, they uh, they let us go home early that day because of the disaster.
1: That they did, because we're from the same school district.
2: Yeah, you remember that, Jason? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy.
1: I remember going home and sitting in front of the television, watching it over and over, and over again, and of course, my naive child mind was wondering if they might be okay, if there was any possibility of that. But in my heart, I knew that, well... What they're presenting to us is certainly not good.
0: So right. in, some, it, yeah, in some ways, this event, the Challenger, uh, what's now called the Challenger Disaster, remember what I said about comets? Think about it, um, was maybe one of the first events to get that kind of round-the-clock, everyday media coverage. Um, before this, it appears, and we're not 100% sure on this, but we're reasonably sure, it appears this is the first line in the sand, although the thing we're about to cover is the real line in the sand from my point of view.
1: Now, the big thing to point out here is, of course, you had how many children watching this for the first Teacher in Space mission of the NASA Space Shuttle Challenger? Right. Come on, man. What could that possibly have done to all these tiny minds? I mean, as we just said, Wayne and I both watched it. We watched it in school. They sent us home in respect for what the events are portraying. Although, of course, we can go into other things should we need to. But what trauma was delivered upon how many, I don't even know, tens of thousands of minds, little minds that would have been watching this? What did that tell you as a child that you would carry forward with you for the rest of your life?
0: Right. It's a stark difference between how it used to be. Something supposedly bad like this happens and before These 24-7 news cycles, Uh, it would have been on the evening news. That would have been the extent of the coverage. But now it's something altogether different. It's being broadcast in classrooms, and it's being broadcast around the clock. So the trauma is amplified many, many times. And I'll say it one more time. Back in the day, supposedly, comets were called disasters. Disaster comets are always associated with terrible things, almost always. And so now, when we remember this event, what do we call it? We call it the Challenge, Challenger disaster. I mean, what what right. more do we need to say here? Another thing we could probably look at with this. I don't
2: know if you want to put this in hour one or not, but. Uh, you could you could clearly draw the lines of intent with this challenger disaster simply by looking back at the old uh, axiom uh, a colombian enterprise to endeavor for the discovery of atlantis and all challengers will be destroyed and i believe that comes from virgil if i'm not mistaken and so, this is where uh, where they named the space shuttles from and you could clearly see uh, the encoding
0: in this event So let's just run it. Anyone who wants to look it up can. But basically what Wayne just did is he ran down the name of every space shuttle. Go ahead and read it one more time and we'll move on.
2: That is a Colombian enterprise for the endeavor of the discovery of Atlantis and all challengers will be destroyed.
0: So that's about as much of a line we can draw in hour one. Let's go ahead and get to the line in the sand, Jason. Yes, we
1: have a second event that really helped cement CNN to be what it is now. Jessica McClure-Morales, who was born on March 26, 1986. She became popularly known as Baby Jessica in 1987 because on October 14th, 1987, at the age of 18 months, she fell into a well in her aunt's backyard in Midland, Texas. Between that day and October 16th, rescuers worked for 56 hours to free her from the 8-inch well casing 22 feet below the ground. The story gained worldwide attention, which led to some criticism as a media circus, most especially because of the -the round-the-clock coverage by CNN. The incident later became the subject of a 1989 ABC television movie, Everybody's Baby, The Rescue of Jessica McClure.
0: So was it? I thought it was fifty-eight hours, Jason. Are you certain that it's fifty-six hours? Uh, the around-the-clock effort to remove this baby from the well. Uh, I think I saw fifty-eight hours in in pretty, my pretty, notes too. Pretty, pretty sure it's fifty-eight, but on the tail of this everything changes for CNN. They become the world leader firmly uh, in 24 hour news cycles, which is a bit misleading because they're pretty much the only game in town, but they come on the map in a big way. It's hard to get the exact numbers, but we're reasonably sure that the size of the CNN audience multiplied by at least five times. And you've got to bear in mind, There's mixed information on when the first challenger to CNN's 24-hour dominance in the news cycle came. Uh, Some people like to say it's MSNBC in... I think 96. Uh, I may not have that date exactly right, but this changes everything. What would you add, Wayne? And by the way, before I kick it over to Wayne, uh, remember what we're talking about here a baby down the well. Uh, it'll become important later.
1: You know, this is interesting. I'm actually seeing sources saying 56 hours and then 58 hours. So interesting.
0: Right. Because yeah. if it was 56, we'd be, you know, playing the numbers game a little harder. But go ahead, Wayne. Yeah, I think that the
2: modification of the numbers according to different accounts is probably something done on purpose to kind of throw you off the trail. Yes. Um, that, 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 that's just my my take on what could be going on with that. So, yeah, uh, yeah we're going to have to keep in mind that, uh, you know, this is the whole crux of, uh, of what the intention that, that's in this whole event is about. You have to look at the concept, a baby went down the well. So, I mean, we're going to we're going to harp on that a little bit more later.
0: Right. We we have to dance around it here um, due to censorship, unfortunately. But, yeah, baby went down the wall. Uh, we're going to draw the line later. We just can't do it here. Now, CNN
1: covered the whole Baby Jessica event live and made a name for itself via the use of a storytelling concept called narrative transportation. They involved the audience emotionally in the story and thus changed the face of news media forever, from a pure journalistic reporting style of news to a manipulation of emotional responses, a type of sensationalism to improve ratings, but also for the sake of using the 24-hour news cycle for agenda setting.
0: The first pre-echoes of this idea that I can recall in my lifetime would have been at the Academy Awards in 1977 when Network, the movie Network, uh, won for, I don't know, supporting actors or best, I forget, but they won something in 1977. The movie Network is wholly beginning to broach what actually goes on here in real time as CNN becomes very dominant and permanently on the air which never stops. Uh, They are now permanently on the air and they have been permanently on the air ever since, as far as I know. But people can reference the movie Network um, to see things like the arguments, who is it, Faye Dunaway? I forget who the actor is, but there's arguments with the boss of the news organization trying to say journalism is all that matters and Faye Dunaway is saying you're a dinosaur, buddy. Um, Entertainment has to be mixed in or news is going to become like the dodo bird. But what would you add, Wayne? I would like to add that uh,
2: the concept of this uh, narrative transportation uh, is a a favorite social engineering tool of the elites. And uh, what this is, is basically this is a, a storytelling tool that they use in order to to draw people into a storyline and make you identify with the main characters in the storyline so what they did with this particular incident is uh it it could be played out in that movie that came out several years later that uh jessica mcclure the rescue of jessica jessica mcclure everybody's baby that that's what they did they kind of put the, the viewer in the position of as if this was your child to make you Attach emotionally to this in such a way that uh, leads to a very profound attachment to this particular story, and that's called narrative transportation, and I wrote a little bit about that in my first book because it is a favorite useful uh, social engineering tool of the elite, and you can see it come to play right here on CNN for the uh, use of the 24-hour news cycle to set agendas.
0: Now there's another portion of this that confirms using monetary value uh, what exactly Wayne's talking about here. Uh, apparently there was a trust fund set up for baby Jessica when she's in her 20s or something Something and like 800 grand. Um, 800 grand in 1980s money is a boatload. Uh, there are differing accounts about how much of that is donation uh, but this was not a wealthy family so I guess any of us can do the math if in fact there was 800 grand put into trust for the main character of this event.
1: Now, what's interesting here is we can compare this form of journalism to, say, the dryness of someone like Walter Cronkite, which is what most people were used to. The typical old school anchor person would be reading the news and give a little bit of their their personality into it. But for the most part, it was very cut and dry and very straightforward. Here we have Something that's borderline, almost like a movie opening up before your eyes. And of course, night and day difference in impact upon the average person.
0: Absolutely. Walter Cronkite back in the three network days was referred to as the most trusted man in America. In the minds of most people that I knew at the time, the idea of journalism was Like the idea of free speech, it was something that didn't get screwed with. People were serious about these ideas in this country. Um, The idea of journalism back then was that they were the fourth estate, the so-called fourth estate that would keep tabs on the rich and powerful and the government and the corporations. They would always be there, the fourth estate. Well, here we are. Here is the departure from that idea of the fourth estate into something else altogether.
1: And of course, most news you didn't get until six o'clock or next day till the morning paper came out. The, The only way things would get to people would be a breaking news story across the radio or the television. But that's not necessarily going to get to everybody, at least not immediately.
0: There's a big difference between being exposed to some news, real or not, for 10, 15 minutes uh, and having it blasted at you 24-7. There's a stark difference between those two things. And before this came to be, um, the, the first thing I said there was correct. You know, you might see it in the paper. What's that, a five-minute read? You might catch it as a portion of a half an hour newscast. What's that, 10 minutes maybe? Um, stark, stark difference. There's, there's the line in the sand. And we'll get back to why it matters later. Right. Repetition. That's what a lot of it's about. Repetition.
2: You see it uh, pounded into your brain 24-7.
1: Now, this also reminds me of the way even the Weather Channel does things. The whole thing is just kind of built off of using your emotions, setting your emotions against you. For instance, when I was watching this storm that was coming in just a few weeks ago, Barry, that never hit us, in fact, it was (laughs) ridiculous, really. It was all about uh, fear. Yeah, it was fear, but it was like, how bad is it going to be? When is it going to hit you? What's it going to be? What, like all this stuff over and over again. Because of course, I was watching things to know what was going to happen here. If I was going to be able to even leave my house or if it was going to get bad enough that I had to get an escape plan for myself and my family. So nothing happened. But think about the fact that they were hitting people with this information over and over and over again. Well, I'm a little more wise to these things. So, of course, I was just kind of taking it as it came, but not really getting bent out of shape over it. But I was even then thinking about, I wonder what this is doing to other people here, especially older people who really don't know the game that's on. They're still thinking in old school terms, like the Walter Cronkite kind of thing.
0: This line in the sand we're talking about is exactly why things like the Weather Channel um, import so much fear into their messaging. They, they have a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week news cycle. Um, what are they gonna employ to keep the eyeballs on them? But you see, the really sad part about this is you might be an intelligent person and realize this is just weather for the most part, most of the times, so there's nothing to fear here. There will be occasions when bad things happen weather-wise. Um, we can even question why that happens. But the point I'm making here is when I was young, um, the only thing that stopped you from going to school is if it was physically going to be difficult to get through that much snow. Now, what I see every winter is they blow up this snowstorm that's coming and then they cancel all the school and sometimes there's less than an inch of snow on the ground and yet they've canceled school so the narrative that's being fashioned is actually changing how we act as a society and i can assure you that back in the days when i was still in in junior high school if someone canceled school because of an inch of snow um the adults would have been saying what you know what are we a bunch of lily livers now this is ridiculous
1: In a 1995 retrospective article about the Baby Jessica event, New York Times columnist Lisa Belkin wrote, If a picture is worth a thousand words, then a moving picture is worth many times that. And a live moving picture makes an emotional connection that goes deeper than logic and lasts well beyond the actual event.
0: Um, There it is in in plain plain English by someone who's maybe some semblance of a real journalism major still they're wanting to say what they really feel like like the three of us are here now we want to say what's on our minds um, but we can't if we do this content will be removed but let me assure you before the second half of this episode is over we will have laid it down in black and white what we add Wayne I would just like to add
2: that uh, that that statement is just very telling in of itself. It's it's plain as day. Uh, that's that's what they're doing. They're they're bypassing logic uh, and using people's emotions just to uh, push a, a certain agenda. So that, it- that's basically what we could say in the first hour. Research
1: on agenda setting has shown that the press is influential in shaping the public's view of how important a given issue is by regulating the amount of attention and quality of coverage that issues receive. The agenda setting function of Mass Media by McCombs and Shaw, 1972, Oxford University Press.
0: All right, there's a source. Let's keep pushing.
1: Television broadcasts to millions a sense of common familiarity with the same folk heroes and a common sharing of experience with the same intimate events. This standardization of experiences and values may have far-reaching effects on individuals and the society's capacity to tolerate deviance from cultural norms." American Television, A Brief Survey of Research Findings, Journal of Social Issues, 1962 by Leo Bogart.
0: In a way, it's no different than so much of what we uh, see covered about video games, Um, how violence is just so prevalent in video games. And so the idea of death or killing, which used to be not very seen very often in a normal lifetime, not too, too long ago, is now just saturated to the point where it becomes commonplace. So killing someone with a a gun or a headshot in a video game is done so often, the idea of death is then perverted into something that's just normal. Um, And that's kind of the same idea that we're talking about here. You want to add something quickly, Wayne? No, I think you're spot on with your assessment there. This this is exactly what's going on with this.
2: It's a, a type of normalization of these things. So uh, it's it's inundating people's minds with this. And it, it sort of is a way to kind of numb people to uh, the effects of, of such a thing. If they see death on a mass scale on the TV all the time, it becomes more of a normal thing to them and and they become desensitized to it.
1: The 24-hour news cycle turned a corner with the Baby Jessica event. It has been well-known and well-established that television news can and has been used for the purpose of agenda setting.
0: Boy, that's an understatement, but go ahead, man. Let's keep pushing. The people running CNN
1: are actively involved in agenda setting for the purposes of altering public opinion and behavior, with a secondary purpose of improving ratings to produce more revenue. Sensationalism instead of traditional journalistic standards seems to be the business of the day.
0: And one of the first things uh, in popular American culture that starts to hint at this, again, is 1977, might be 76, uh, a movie called Network. This is really the first time the public is faced with an idea that journalism is not what you expect and uh, know it to be or think you know it to be. Um, and this is the outcome. Uh, this This event that we're harping on here, we're harping on it for a reason. We'll get to that.
1: The misnamed Persian Gulf War, which lasted from August 2nd, 1990 until February 28th, 1991, is the next big event that solidified CNN's lead in the 24-hour news cycle. This event brought about the term the CNN effect.
0: There it is. Um, It's not just changed culture. It's even changing language. Anyone can go look up what the CNN effect is. But think about um, the last Go arounds in the Persian Gulf. At that point, they weren't even making any bones about it. They were saying the media was embedded with these units. In other words, the the media was embedded with the military. So, is that really journalism at that point? Basically, you've turned your journalists or your correspondents or whatever the heck you'd like to call them uh, into a member of a unit, and there's no way that you can. Uh, dispassionately report on what's going on under those situations. But it goes to show you it didn't take long. And
1: what is the CNN effect? The impact of 24 hours a day live television coverage broadcast from around the world by all news cable channels affects political and foreign policymaking. The coverage affects government decisions and public opinion. And that is a statement by Brookings.edu.
0: Anyone can look these things up. We're not making this up. We're citing actual factual studies that have gone on as if we need them. Anyone can understand. And it's, you know, at this point, we're talking about America. Uh, it's not going to be long before this creeps out to everywhere. But um, go ahead. Let's keep pushing.
1: News stories are increasingly designed to heighten emotional response rather than just support and report facts. Shock value equals ratings ratings equals more social control and revenue for the broadcaster
0: there's a perfect example of the shock value idea in news and media that we see socially on youtube now everybody wants to be famous so so much so that they're willing to get kicked in the testicles they're willing to jump off things where they're risking pretty serious bodily injury Because that shocking thing that they're going to do may garner them what the modern world thinks is fame. And that's how many views you're going to get, how many subscribers. And this is a perversion. Um, When you think of things like Jackass as a good example, Um, the crew from Jackass, which are the people who were the spearhead in normalizing this kind of aberrant behavior where people harm themselves so they can get a video that has shock value that will hopefully garner more views. Everything we're talking about here and the onset of 24 news cycles is the predicate to all of this. What would you add, Wayne? Yeah, that, that's definitely something uh, that we see, that the whole
2: idea, that concept of, of jackass and other similar uh, shows like that. This is exactly what this capitalizes on—is this whole shock value thing, and and this is primarily where it's been rolled out—is by CNN and the other twenty-four uh, hour news networks. But they roll it out in a way so that people perceive it as reality, when in fact it may or may not be reality. So uh, it's it's just a matter of drawing eyes to the channel to produce their revenues and stuff like that at this point. It has little to do with uh, journalistic uh, credibility and more to do with uh, the emotional shock value of things to get people to tune in.
0: I would go a step further. There is no journalism going on here, and it's proven out when an event happens and every single 24-hour news station is playing the same video. Um, there, it's just, it is just it is what it is. And by the way, the whole jackass thing, a uh, probable side effect to that is birth control, Can you imagine how many of those deluded teens that decided it was a good idea to get hit in the testicles with a baseball bat when they grow up? Are they going to find out they can't have children? I wonder. Um, I actually did a search to find out what testicular trauma, how much of it becomes a problem. You'd be surprised. But anyhow, that's a bit off point. The
1: 24-hour news cycle industry invents the moniker
0: fake news
1: to counteract the rise of small independent news outlets and researchers, or even citizen journalists, on the internet. As per the Tavistock playbook, variety must be eliminated in reporting styles.
0: Well, what's funny um, is this comes down to what does news mean? What does the definition of news mean? Well, when I was young... The definition of news was hand-in-hand with journalism. Now the definition of news is hand-in-hand with entertainment. So it's a bit ironic that they're going to make up the term fake news, and they did make it up. This was not just average people that put this on the air. Um, it was the insiders playing baseball here. Um, they, they brought up this new term, fake news, and it's a bit ironic because it's all it all fits under that moniker.
2: Right. And that's the thing. And I think it's coming back to bite them now because uh, time and time again, you see more people calling them out as fake news, too. But uh, they originally designed it as a crux to lean on to try and save their failing credibility at this point. So, uh, you know, they, they brought about this term to discredit those Internet researchers and, and you know, what you call, quote unquote, citizen journalists and different small independent news agencies or whatever that to try and discredit these people if they have some kind of a counterclaim to what the mainstream narrative is pushing.
0: You know, I'd be interested to see what a journalism major gets in school these days. Um, As late as the late 60s and the early 70s, Hollywood was still pumping out movies where journalists were actually paid to go out and do what was called investigative journalism. And by the way, they would go after anyone, according to Hollywood, even the president of the United States, if the story led there. As long as they could verify that what was being presented was factual, factual. From their point of view, um, these journals had a gig. Do you suppose there's any journalism that fits that kind of an idea at all in any of these 24-hour news cycles? And if there were, how could it be? If an event happens, you see maybe one or two pieces of footage, and it gets cycled across basically the world. So if there were journalists, wouldn't you expect to see all these different points of views? In actuality, what you get is a certain small percentage of footage that's going to get used over and over and over. And then talking heads are going to fill up the airways until the clock goes all the way around every day, day after day. Right. And that just is part and parcel of what's
2: going on. You can see there's an agenda at work because they all parrot the same thing. So uh, if, if journalism was truly how it was intended to be, you wouldn't hear the parroting of the same thing over and over again. And I would also go on to say that uh, I, I've seen in the past where, where some people have done independent research studies, and uh, I forget where this was, but I, I do distinctly remember it. It was a, a gentleman asking students who were going to school for journalism, well, why do you want to get into journalism? And one of the most common answers was because they want to make things better in the world. So when you look at journalism, what is it supposed to be? It's supposed to be reporting on things and letting the public decide for themselves what it is. But uh, the mindset that they're getting from the the students that are going to school for journalism is they want, these people want to make an impact on things and uh, actually make changes to things rather than just reporting the news. So, I mean, this is, this is going away from what traditional journalism is, and it's more about social
0: engineering. It's often cited that back in the period of the 60s, 70s, there were over 50 corporations that owned all the news services, and this included newspapers um, or whatever versions of news were going to go out on television. Uh, people like to say now that it is five or six that own it all. And I mean all Um, the work Jason and I have done. I think it's closer to two. And I think those two uh, corporations are closer to merging. Uh, But it goes to show you, because if you want to pay journalists to go out, it's going to cost you money. You got to pay them. You got to put them up in hotels. You got to, you know, pony up for all the things they're going to need to do their investigation. Uh, It's a heck of a lot cheaper for one or two places to get some video and then pass it around, which is basically what we see happening. But anyhow, this next bullet point is going to be the big tip of the hat for people with eyes to see. Uh, We're going to get into this idea a lot more in hour two, but we'll put it on the table for hour one for whatever it's worth.
1: Exploring the Well Myth. The Well Myth is the mind hook that CNN used as an archetypal tool to achieve the goal of setting a new standard for television news coverage. The Baby Jessica Story was a modern-day retelling of an ages-old tale designed to capture the emotions and imaginations of the public. So how would you like to do this, Crow? Would you like to compare the Baby Jessica Story to the typical Well Mythology
0: story? Let's just outline what the well mythology story is that goes back as far as we can possibly peer. Uh, It's attributed to the ancient Greeks. I'm guessing a lot of listeners might have ideas about what's accurate there. Um, But let's just relate the ancient archetypal story of truth and the well. Let's just lay it down. We'll get much deeper into it in an hour or two.
1: So we have Aesop's Fables 531. A man was journeying in the wilderness, and he found Veritas, or Alethea in Greek, standing there all alone. He said to her, Ancient lady, why do you dwell here in the wilderness, leaving the city behind? From the great depths of her wisdom, Veritas replied, Among the people of old, lies were found among only a few, but now they have spread throughout all of human society." This story denotes two important facts. First, that the older ways were truer and better. And second, there is no lie in nature as Veritas dwelt in the wilderness.
0: Let's cut this up a little more cleanly um, for people. Yeah, that's um, not a clean delineation. Yeah, what, one of the things um, that if you try, Veritas is the goddess, supposed goddess. It's just an aspect of nature. But the old Greek Veritas or Alethea depending on whether you want to look at the Romanization or the supposed original in Greek is truth. It's what it is. Basically what happens is Prometheus is fashioning truth from clay. He's making a goddess. Um, He steps away for a little while. Um, I forget why he has to step away, but this other trickster God starts duplicating his statue of truth, which he is going to imbue with life. Prometheus, who is allegorically one-to-one with the Luciferian story um, and remember Prometheus gave human beings fire, Um, he comes back before the other trickster god completes his duplicate of truth. And he's so impressed by what the trickster god does that he puts both of those clay statues in a kiln and he imbues them both with life. Here's the rub. Truth, or Veritas, the statue that Prometheus imbued with life, the goddess Truth, has two feet. The other statue which is basically the polar opposite of truth, or maybe you could refer to it as a lie, has no feet. That was the only way you could tell the difference. To cut to the chase, later on, Veritas or truth hides down a well for the reasons Jason just mentioned, because there is no longer truth in the world. Used to be there was a little bit of lying going on. Now lying is everywhere. So truth or Veritas or Althea, the goddess of truth, hides down a well. And to make the point really, really clear, the version of truth that is not truth, that is actually a lie, is a duplicate statue, identical in every way except it's missing its feet, which will play into the timeline here. Did I leave anything out there, Wayne?
2: No, I don't think so. I think that pretty much covers the basic premise of uh, of what the myth is about, and we'll we'll go a little deeper into a lot of the the different specifics of this in hour 2 I'm sure, because they, we gotta really be careful what we say in hour one because the
0: censorship is just getting worse and worse every day. We do, but I'll ask a question. Um, don't 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 you guys remember in all this research didn't uh, didn't the baby that went down the well get a toe amputated? Yes, that is true. Yep. Hmm, I wonder how that relates to everything I just told everybody. Anyhow, we wish we could lay down more in hour one, but what's the point? If we do, it will just be removed or strikes will be garnered on my channel. This is how far we've come. And let me tell you something. When I was young, if this kind of censorship went on, people would have been flipping out. To a point that would have mattered. I have no idea why so many people are okay with it now, but we're going to get whole hog into this an hour or two and we're going to factually draw the lines and we're not making this up. This is all well researched and we're going to show the archetype that was used that launched the separation from how we used to be to how we are now. It all happened in the 80s, whether we're talking about news, technology, or any number of things, to include how we use money and how banks work. Uh, The 80s was a big deal. We hope you'll join us all for Hour 2 over at Crow777radio.com. And by the way, the free hour also runs there, too. You don't need a login. So come join us over at Crow777radio.com, where we speak freely. There it is, man. Cheers.